morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, and I think Mary Lee was right. Uh, yeah, I bet many of you are a little tired this morning. Uh, game finished up. I woke up at 11.57 with the last pitch of the Astros game, and I am, I am a dragon. Uh, so I imagine many of you guys are a dragon, and you made it to church. And I just want to say, yeah, well done. That's a big deal. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is good that you guys are here this morning. I'm David. If I haven't met you yet, I get to serve as a pastor here at Redeemer. And uh, this is the first week of a new series we're doing called This Is Us. Uh, it's about who we are, where we're going, and why it matters. And um, this is a really important uh, series for our church right now. And when I say our church, actually mean I, I mean not just uh, here at Redeemer, our church, but our whole multi-site church which includes First United Methodist in Pearland. Some of you guys that are new may not know this, but uh, we are uh, a part of a multi-site church in Redeemer, uh, which will be three years old here in a couple weeks, uh, was started because there were a group of people at First United Methodist uh, in Pearland who said, we want to see God do something new and something different here uh, in our community in Manville. And so uh, th those people, uh, that church, said, uh, we, we want to do what it takes. And it's because of that missional heart that they had. It's because of their sacrificial financial support. It's because of their support in all different kinds of ways that Redeemer exists. That uh, over the last three years, we've grown from a group of three, 30 to uh, three to 400 on a Sunday because they had a vision for something bigger than themselves. And I am so thankful for that part of our church. I'm so thankful for uh, everything they've done to help our church and the Redeemer campus specifically become what it is today. And, um, and this, this series is, is really about, uh, about how we move forward as a, as a multi-site church. Because last year, uh, we kind of realized living into this new reality that there were some things that we needed to address as a church. One, uh, we had become multi-site and we really didn't know what that meant or what it looked like or how to do it best. And so we were living into all these new kind of things that were happening, too. Uh, the senior pastor at the Pearland campus, Keith Whitaker, his retirement was upcoming. He's going to retire in July of this coming year. And then three, uh, just to be honest, at our Pearland campus, uh, over the last 12 years, we've experienced a slow and steady decline, like a lot of churches have that are First Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian uh, there's been a slow and steady decline, and we, we had to figure out what are we going to do about this? How are we going to turn it around? And so what we did last year is we brought in a group of church consultants called the Unstuck Group. Uh, anybody have any idea what the Unstuck Group might do? Yeah, they help churches get unstuck, right? It's a great name. And one of the things that uh, we really liked about this group is they uh, are specifically experienced with helping churches become multi-site and, and, and do well multi-site. And they're also specifically experienced with helping churches that are established and older, like a 125-year-old Pearland campus, turn things around. And so they had some specific skills we wanted. We brought them in. And last year, starting in January, we did a ton of work and, and got our new path forward. And so we've made some, some changes. And this series, we're going to kind of share what those are and lay them out. One is that we, we did a reorg as a staff to create a structure for a multi-site church. We, uh, that this is why um, some of you guys were, that were here during the summer know that Thea, our children's director, 
moved into the role of family pastor and now serves uh, as leading both uh, students and children's ministry on both campuses. Um, she is part of what we call a senior leadership team that has a corporate structure of leadership that looks and oversees both campuses of our church. This is also why many of you guys probably don't know this. Mary Lee has moved from the role of connections coordinator and, and uh, communications here at Redeemer to doing um, actually becoming the director of communications and overseeing connections for the entire church. This is also why, and also addressing Keith's retirement, last, yeah, yeah, just a little job there for Mary Lee. Um, this is also why uh, uh, last, uh, last, at some point in this last year, we announced that the bishop was going to appoint me to be the, 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 the next succeeding senior pastor after uh, Keith retired in July. And, and we, we did it in a way that is going to let me lead the entire church during the week, but also will, will allow me to continue to lead here on Sunday mornings and, 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 and preach and give the messages and try not to fail, right? No, uh, but, but it's, it's exciting. So some of those changes have happened. The, the, next, um, the next thing that I want to share with you is through this process, we, we have a new mission statement. You actually know what it is uh, already, but uh, we'll, next week we're going to share with that and make it more clear a little better. Uh, next week we're going to talk about our new mission statement and why and how like the three focal points that are going to be a part of it is really what we're going to do and, and how we're going to move forward. And then the week after that, and I, I'm really excited about this, we, we spent time as, uh, as uh, a leadership group in the church, both lay and staff, praying and dreaming, what are the next... What do the next five years look like here at our church? Like, what, where does God call us? Where is he wanting us to go? And, uh, and, and in two weeks, we're going to lay out what is a five-year vision for, um, for our whole church. And uh, it's, it's awesome. It is going to make such an impact in this community and um, a lot of people's lives. And uh, it's big. It's honestly scary and intimidating, but I just, I'm excited about it. And I hope that what happens here um, in this church everywhere is that we get excited about a God who's done big things on our behalf and is doing big things in the world and this community and that we see the potential that we have to make an impact here in this community and see people's lives change. And, um, and we, 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 yeah, we get a heart for it. Amen. Thank amen. you. Thank you for the amens. <laughs> so at the end of this series, here's what, I, here's what I hope happens. You catch that vision too and that we move forward. And so today we start at the foundation of where it starts, remembering what the foundation of the church is. Today's message is called The Church's One Foundation. Uh, it, we're going to read a passage from Matthew chapter 16, but we're going to get there in a bit. So when we get there, I'll encourage you to open your Bibles. But for now, let's go ahead before we hear from God's Word and we pray for God's grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for who you are to us and your love and your mercy and your grace, I want to thank you for this church, our whole church. Here at Redeemer, there at FEMC, I want to thank you for the way that you've changed our lives, that you've shown us a living hope in Jesus, and that, that, that day by day, you really do make us new. And I just, I just pray that uh, through my words, Lord, uh, you'd have mercy uh, on me and this church, and you'd use them to further your kingdom, I pray that, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing to you. 
that we, we would get a heart for you and get your heart and see your vision and hope for this world. And Lord, you, you just move and stir inside of us to be the people you've called us to be and to find new and abundant and true life, Lord. In Jesus, it's in his name we pray. All right, um, a few weeks ago, it was 9.30 in the evening, and my four younger kids were all still up, and it was a school night, and yeah, it was not cool. Uh, they, they, uh, I'd asked them kindly, politely, like six times to, to listen to me and go to bed, and uh, there they were. Jesse was uh, attacking his siblings. Johnny was jumping on the bed. Jer was annoying everybody because that's what Jer does, and, uh, and Jordan, the little girl, was sitting there looking all innocent and cute, and let me assure you, she's not always innocent and cute, and I was sitting there continuing to ask them, getting pummeled by some of them, and my blood was starting to boil. Um, I bet you guys know those moments, and I just had this narrative running through my head. You know, here they are, again, not listening. Here they are, being disrespectful, these kids, it's going to be a rough morning because they're going to bed late. Uh, I, I was about to raise my voice and um, uh, turn over some tables in the temple like Jesus. Uh, and um, and uh, thankfully, um, in that moment, it probably wouldn't have been righteous like Jesus was. So uh, I gained some self-awareness by God's grace and I decided to go with a different route, a different course of action. What did I do? I punished my children. I said, kids, guess what? Because you have failed to listen to me six times in a row, you will not get your beloved tablets tomorrow. And if you give me a piece of fight back, you will not get them the next day either. Was it effective? Yeah. Amen. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was very effective. Those kids listened. They uh, said goodnight, they went upstairs and went to bed, and I did a victory dance in my head, right? Um, but here's the thing, uh, after they went to bed, I second-guessed myself. Uh, parents, have you guys ever done that when, after you discipline? Uh, I, I went through the playback in my mind, like, did, did, I, did I act as I needed to, right? Did I, was I clear enough for them? Was I too hard in my punishment? Did all of them deserve the exact same punishment? Did I contribute to this situation in any way? And uh, when I asked that question, I kind of realized that uh, I did, that I had culpability in what got us to that situation that we were in that night. What did I do? Well, we had done our, our, our kind of evening routine an hour later than we usually do, and that was actually on me and my leadership as a parent. Uh, after that evening routine, Johnny came over and pushed me, and um, because I enjoy it, I pushed him back. Um, that was like five, ten minutes before that. And then uh, Jordan, who had done something I had told her to stop doing, and I needed to discipline her, but she looked at me with those little cute three-year-old eyes, right? And four, four, whatever. They're the same eyes. And I didn't discipline my daughter as I needed to. And so I, I had been a part of getting us to this scenario where we were. I had perceived there was a problem, but I didn't know, didn't think through the whole of the problem. And if I would have just disciplined them without thinking about my own role in it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have fully understand why and how we got to the place where we were. And so I couldn't really have fully addressed it the next time. If I'd have done that stuff, we'd have been right back there the next time later, right? 
So why am I sharing that all with you? Well, hang with me for a second. Here's, here's what I want to say. Sometimes the problem we think is the problem isn't the problem. Sometimes the problem we think is the problem isn't the problem. Why, why do I share that? Well, because there's a lot of people saying there's, there's a big problem today, and namely uh, it's folks in the church saying the church is in decline, saying that there is a problem in the church. The church is in decline, and there's a lot of research that is coming out actually that's, 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 that's telling us that there are some things changing in the church, like that, uh, that the way people relate to the church and religious faith in general in America is changing. I bet many of you guys have seen some of this research because it's on the headlines all the time, but here's one that I found uh, that I saw a couple years ago from Pew Research Group that said this. This was the article title, U.S. Public Becoming Less Religious. What did they mean by that? Well, Pew Research surveys thousands of people, and they do it over time, and what they're finding is that decade after decade, people are becoming less religious. They're engaging with church less. They're going to church less. In their research, they're finding that people are praying less than they used to. They're finding that people are, uh, are, are just uh, saying that they believe in God less than they used to, that there is a decline in religious engagement in the United States of America. And, and it's happening, and it's significant. And it hasn't been precipitous. By, by no means are churches em emptying, but what we're seeing is that percentage point by percentage point, uh, there are a lot of people who are not engaging in churches like they used to. And so if that's what's happening, what's happening in the church is a lot of leaders are saying, well, what, what do we do about this, right? Like, I've got less people here on Sundays. What do, what do we need to do about that? What, 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 what's going on with the church? And, it, and when they focus it there, when that question gets asked, a lot of people take a really easy, uh, clear approach and say, well, if something, if, if the church is in decline, what we need to do is fix the church. We need to focus on the church. We need to think about the things that the church does, and we need to figure out how to do them better, right? And so there are different things that people will focus in on that will say, well, what we really need to do is make sure that we get uh, our, our children's ministry right. We need to have the right children's director and the right fun curriculum and the right engaging stuff to get those kids here that will then bring their parents, and then we'll have young families, and everything will be okay in the church again, right? That's one approach. Other, other things, uh, I hear this sometimes, uh, churches need to have the preaching right, right? What churches need is a great preacher who uh, <laughs> is, uh, is, uh, is engaging and funny, who teaches the Bible, but uh, also is able to speak to the heart, right? And, and that's another thing people focus in on. No pressure for preachers on that one. Um, another thing is that uh, uh, people say we need to make sure we're getting outreach right. We need to serve the poor and the needy in the community. We need to make a difference. And when we get that right, the church will be fixed. And, uh, and let me share with you, like, I really actually believe in all those things, 100%. I think they are critical, absolutely essential things about what it means to be part of the church. But here's what I've also seen. Uh, I know churches that, that uh, have really eloquent, wonderful preachers who have been in decline and have not been able to, to make a comeback. I also know churches that have dumped hundreds of thousands of dollars into children's ministry and still not been able to make a comeback. I also know churches that, uh, that have done in really significant work doing missions and feeding the hungry in, in, in their community and not been able to make a comeback. And so if, if, if those things are addressed in the church and it's still not fixing the issue of decline, what does that tell us? 
It tells us there's more going on than just those issues. It tells us that the problem that, that we think is the problem may not be the problem, that there might be more than this going on, and there's, there's greater things that we have to focus on. So what is it? What is the thing that's going on? What is the thing that we've got to focus on? Well, here's what I believe. I think we've misdiagnosed the problem. I think that, that the problem that we think we're seeing isn't actually the problem that needs to be addressed. I think that, that, that if we think the problem is the church, in, that is the, the church declining, that actually we've missed the more fundamental existential problem that Jesus came to attend to. And what is that? What is the thing that Jesus, that Jesus came to attend to? The problem is that we are broken people living in a broken world. The problem is that marriages are falling apart. The problem is that I am not the person who I want to be or should be. The problem is that we uh, broken, sinful people are crashing up against each other in the world, uh, and, and there are headlines that show us every day how messed up and broken our world is. And th the problem is that, that we have diseases that are taking people's lives, that, 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 that uh, are, 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 are yelling at the bottom of our hearts, at our souls, like this isn't how it's supposed to be. That, that people aren't supposed to die of cancer, that, that, that marriages aren't supposed to be broken, that love is supposed to be forever, right? that I need to be the person who God calls me to be. And, 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 and we know that. And, and so here's the thing. Here's what the church does. It says, guess what? There's an answer to that problem, and it's Jesus. The truth is, here's, here's the real solution to the deepest existential problem, that Jesus came, and in his death and resurrection, he changed everything. That, that's what the gospel is. That's why the church exists. It's not to have a great children's ministry. It's to share the good news about Jesus Christ and to help kids become disciples because that is the best use and plan that could ever happen for their lives, right? It's, it's not, it's not uh, the church. It, when, we, when we think that the solution is making the church better, right, we're, we're missing it. The, the solution is Jesus. When I experience brokenness, what I need to know is that there is a God who forgives me and there is a, God, a Jesus who died for me. And there is a resurrection that gives me hope and new life. Amen? That, that is why the church exists. And 2,000 years ago, what happened is that when Jesus rose from the dead, everything changed. When he died on the cross, we were given a forgiveness that changed everything, where our hearts were able to be healed from the hurt and the pain that, that we experienced, and that, that we were able to become made new from the very inside out. That's the gospel, y'all. And that Jesus is coming again and that that death is going to be swallowed up in a resurrected victory where we don't have to say goodbye to ever for the ones we love, right? That's what the church is about, right? And that's the existential reality that every single one of us is dealing with. And, 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 and it's, you know, I say this one more time in a clearer way. John 3.16 is, is a summary of the gospel and it says this, for God so love the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen? Amen. What, what does it not say? For God so loved the world that he sent the church? No. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And, and it's Jesus who called the church to be messengers of that gospel grace that is true in John 3.16. Do you see what, what, what we are and what we're called to do and what we're supposed to be? That. Like, that's the hope that we give the world. And, and, and that is the foundation of who we are as a church. And let me tell you, uh, I don't, this isn't, I don't believe this is just my conviction. 
I, I think that this is straight out of the Bible, and it's straight how Jesus sees it in the world today and wants us to see it. And that's what I want to share with you guys today. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. You brought your Bible, um, open it, uh, or grab the one in your chair, and it's going to be page uh, 794. Let me go ahead and read. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says this in verse 13. 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied to him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, so this is a really, really important passage in, in the Bible. And it begins with Jesus going to his disciples, these men who have been with him for a while, who know him, and he says to them, who do people say that I am? Who are you hearing people say I am? And so they start to answer some of the things they've heard people say about Jesus. Some say that he's like John the Baptist, this really uh, prophetic figure out in the desert uh, doing interesting, crazy things. Some say he's like Elijah or Jeremiah, these really important uh, prophets who are part of the history of Israel. Uh, there were still other things that they don't mention here that, that people had said about Jesus. In fact, just a few chapters earlier, they called Jesus the prince of demons. The Pharisees didn't like him, right? Um, so that, this is all this stuff floating around there about Jesus. And now he says, okay, that's who they said. And he turns to the disciples and he directs it personally. And he says, who do you say I am? Right? This is a personal question. He's asking them, who do you say I am? And... Uh, and, 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 and it's, it's a really important question for every single one of us. Who do, who do we say Jesus is? Who do you and I say Jesus is? How does Peter answer? Well, this, this, is, uh, this is what he says. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is a huge, really significant answer. Just, just so you guys uh, kind of feel the momentum of this, nobody has said that before up until this point. This is the first time in the Gospels that anybody calls uh, Jesus the Christ. And the Christ wasn't just any term. Another uh, synonym for it would be Messiah. You may have heard that term before. And when Peter says, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah, what he actually is saying is that there's a whole lot wrapped up in who I think you are and, and, and came to be in this world. He's saying, we are a people in Israel under Roman oppression. We are people broken, messed up, gone from where we're supposed to be. And I think that you are the chosen one of God who's come to set everything right, to save us, to change the world, to change my life. That is what Peter says when Jesus says, who do you think I am? Peter says, I think you're all that. I think you're everything that I've been hoping for and, and wanting and waiting to, to be. And, and so he says that. And, uh, and as you can see, Jesus is pretty happy about this answer, isn't he? He says, blessed are you, Peter, for knowing this, right? I'm so glad that you know this, and it's the next thing that is really relevant to our discussion this morning that I want to share. He says this, 
Jesus says to Peter, and I tell you that you are no, no longer Simon, right? You are Peter, and, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will overcome it. I want you to, to, to see that word church in that, in that verse. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. This is, uh, isn't only the first time that we hear Jesus referred to as Messiah in the Gospels. This is also the first time we ever see that word church. And so it's really interesting that when Jesus, we recognize who Jesus is, suddenly we see this word church. There's a connection that we need to make because Jesus is making it, right? There's a recognition of who he is, and now there's, a, there's an establishment of something else that's going to come. In, in the Greek, the word for church is the word ekklesia, and it really means uh, a people called out, a community that gather together around a purpose. And so what, what Jesus is doing here with Peter and with the other disciples present, he's saying, okay, you know, you know who I am. You see who I am. And now that you know who I am, I want to tell you what you are, right? You are the church. When you believe who I am, you, you are now uh, part of a community that's called out and gathered and has a conviction about who I am and what I'm doing in this world and why it matters, right? And, and that, that is what's happening. Jesus is helping us see that this is so essential and what the church is, and what it came to do. And it really leads me to the first of the three things that I want to pull out of this passage this morning that I think are, are really important for us to understand who we are and what we have to believe if we're going to be the church that Jesus calls us to be. It's all based out of this passage right here. And here's the first one. It's this. We've got to believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord. The church has to believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord. That is fundamental to who we are as the church. If we don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the hope of the world, that he changes everything, we're not the church. That is a foundational conviction that, that is fundamental to, to, to what it means to be the church. This is what makes Christianity Christian. It's about Christ. It centers on Jesus, right? We believe that Jesus' death actually forgave us of our sins and that our slates were wiped clean, and that all our brokenness has, is healed up in what he offers, right? We actually believe that a man did what no man has ever, has ever done before. He rose from the dead, right? And in doing that, he swallowed up death. Uh, and, and we don't believe those things in some sort of mental ascent, in some sort of lukewarm, tepid kind of way. When Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, and then Jesus said, you're the church, what Peter was saying is, I have every hope that you're going to change everything in this world. And we say the exact same thing when we say, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior. We have every hope that for us and for the world, Jesus is going to change everything. Amen. Amen. Church is built on the conviction that Jesus is Savior and Lord, built on the person and promises of Jesus Christ. Here's number two. We've got to believe that Jesus builds his church through you and me. That you and I are the foundational building block for, for God's church moving forward and this gospel message moving forward in the world. You know that? You believe it? You are a part of God's plan in building the kingdom. Can you imagine being Peter in this situation? Uh, th there's such a, a turnaround that happens for him. He's been asked this really pointed question by Jesus. It almost reminds me of like, when you're in a dating somebody in a relationship and they say uh, for the first time, I love you, 
right? Shannon says to me, David, I love you. I don't even remember who said it first in ours, but the moment you say that in a relationship, I love you, right? That's a big moment, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, and how you respond to that determines how that relationship <laughs> is going to go from that point forward, right? Right? And, 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 and so Jesus, this is the kind of moment that Peter's having with Jesus. Who do you think I am, Peter? You've been following me around for this time. Who do you think I am? And, and, uh, and Peter says, you are, are the Christ. And then this is what's so incredible is immediately when Peter makes that statement, right? I love you. I can go off like we're good. No, no, no. Jesus ups the ante on Peter. And he says, you, Peter, you're no longer Simon. You're, you're, you're Peter. You're a rock. And on your conviction and on your faith, I am going to build my kingdom going forward. I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you and everything you are, and I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Right? That is an incredible thing that, that he says. And, and you know, uh, I just, I can't even, that is such an intimidating thing to hear. Right? I mean, can you imagine standing there in Peter's shoes hearing Jesus say to you, I'm going to build my church on you. Right? On your conviction. On your faith. Uh, I try to think about this in a smaller scale. Like, a person comes to faith in Jesus, right? They finally accept who he is. They call him Lord and Savior, and then immediately says, and I've got 25 other people I want you to, to forever influence their lives. Right? That, that's, and that's not even close to what Jesus just told Peter. And what would we say if Jesus said that to us? We'd say, I'm scared. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jesus, I just got over figuring out who you were, right? Like, uh, but Jesus kind of ups the, ups the ante, right? Uh, we say, Jesus, you know, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I can't do this. That's how Peter felt. We know he was broken, messed up. We're like, Jesus, I just got done fighting with my spouse about how to fold towels, right? I just argued with my kids, right? You want me to, to be a huge part of, of building your church? And, and the answer is, yeah. It's exactly what it means when we have that conviction. And, and, and y'all, I just I want you to hear this. We're a part of God's plan. You are a part of God's plan. Who's a part of God's plan? You. Yeah, amen. Me, me too, me too. Um, and, and, and we don't always get it right, and the church is, is broken, man. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Jesus still believes in the church. And we may not have a tremendous confidence in who we are, we may not always have tremendous confidence in the church, but it doesn't matter. Jesus has tremendous confidence in the church and in us, and he's called us to be a part of this plan, and he calls you, and, and this has got to be a conviction about who we are here at Redeemer. Amen? All right, here's the last one. We've got to believe that what our church does matters eternally. What we as God's church do matters eternally. Uh, verse 19 is eye-opening, and it says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let me read it again. I will give you the keys, the keys of the kingdom of heaven to unlock a door. Why else do you have keys? Right? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is what Jesus says to Peter. 
And there, there's a lot going on in this verse. But to boil it down to what it simply says, and I don't think there's any other way to understand this, Jesus is saying what you do here on earth has eternal consequences, period. Earth is connected to heaven. Decisions made on earth have heavenly consequences. And, 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 and there's a relationship between what we do here on earth and what happens in heaven. And, and so what Jesus is saying to Peter is not only like uh, you have this tremendous responsibility, but you have this tremendous potential to affect the eternal outcomes of people's lives, right? And, and we as the church have been given this, these keys to the kingdom. It's, it's incredible that Jesus does this and entrusts us with this and gives us this responsibility. And, you know, sometimes it feels like too much, man, doesn't it? Uh, I was talking to a friend about this point, about this point, and one of the things actually we both said is like, you've got to believe that what you do matters eternally. That sounds like a Baptist point in a message. <laughs> and Redeemer, we're not actually Baptists. We love Baptists, right? But um, I, I love Baptists, but I like to communicate things a little bit differently sometimes. And, uh, and it does, right? I mean, it, it's, it's true. It does sound a little Baptist. But here's what I think Baptists take very seriously. It's Jesus' words here. And, and look at what he says. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He says it. There's no way around this. This is what Jesus says to us. And does that mean that the eternal destiny of, of the people who you know in this community it is dependent on you? Let me, let me also say no, right? Uh, that's not true. There's a God who loves them more than you ever could or ever will, and he wants them to be saved more than you could or ever will, and you can trust that that God is at work by the power of his spirit to bring them redemption and healing and love in their lives, okay? But here's, here's the good news. We have the opportunity to, to, to join with God in what he's doing and make an eternal impact in people's lives. And what I can tell you is when you step out of your, of your own life and you look, at the, you, you look and say, God, I want to I be a part of this person knowing you, things happen. Like, there are eternal things that change forever when, when we do that, right? And, and, uh, and, and I just think about our church, and one of the things that I have celebrated the most, that I have been praying about since we started, that could be a part of who we are and would be an even greater part of, of where we're going. But you know one of my favorite things that happens here at Redeemer is when we baptize in a soul, right? When we we do, especially these Easter baptisms, right? Jesus rises from the dead. And on the day of resurrection, someone uh, crosses over from death to eternal life. Uh, and the imagery is that those who die with Christ, who are buried in the water with Jesus, come up with him to eternal life. And when, when we see uh, a friend, a family member, the name of someone we know and love, rise up from that water, Y'all, we are celebrating the fact that things have changed for them now and forever. That there is an eternal, an eternity that has changed for them. And, and it's at the heart of who we are. Church, we have got to believe that what we do matters eternally. We've got to hear Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, that is week one of This Is Us. We are the church. We stand with Peter and the saints through the ages 
who live to share the gospel in this, in this specific place. We believe Jesus is Savior and Lord. We, we believe that Jesus has sent us here to build his kingdom, and we believe that what we do matters to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for these people and this place and your mercy and grace on our lives. Um, and I just pray that your power would be made known in our lives and, and through us, and that, Lord, we, we would see you I lift up the people in it that they would see the magnitude of what they're a part of and what you've called them to, that they wouldn't settle for second best in your kingdom, Lord, but they would follow you with all their heart and get to experience the goodness of being a part of you changing things for other people forever. And Lord, I just pray for your mercy and grace. And thank you. It's in your name.